size eyes. The life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Casually Profound series, where conversations create deeper connections with others and yourself, where every interaction is an opportunity to laugh, think, and feel fully, where magical moments happen spontaneously and abundantly. This series has discussions that transcend the surface level of what people do or who they are in the outer world. It aims to normalize thinking. I hope for all those engaged in this discussion, including myself, the guest, and especially you, the active listener, we stop and ponder on the ultimate question, who am I really? All while enjoying every second of it, of course. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Casually Profound series of the Size Eyes podcast. Uh, so my name is Adam Kamak and I'm serving as guest host today. I will be interviewing the normal host, Sai Vossum, uh, this afternoon. Uh, I was a guest on this uh, conversation series back in episode 7 and had such a great time and so much fun that I decided I would, uh, we would try switching roles and seeing how that works. Uh, so I'm excited to do this. Um, so I live in suburban Houston. Uh, right now I'm a high school history and geography teacher, uh, but I have my own background in content creation and podcasting, and I definitely hope to return to that uh, someday. Uh, Cy and I know each other because we lived in the same dorm in college when we went to the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, because we have so many of the same interests in sports and geography and history, um, we became very fast friends, uh, remain very good friends, and have great conversations quite regularly, <laughs> going down all sorts of rabbit holes and uh, all sorts of tangents. So uh, it's great fun. and. I'm very excited to do this, Sai. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we're going to be going down a few rabbit holes today, this conversation, as we do every conversation. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see exactly where that leads us. Yeah, I'm excited to, to be here. This is my first time being on a podcast as, the, as a guest. Ah. Um, so ho hopefully first of many. Yes. Um, but I'm looking forward to digging in. I know I asked a lot of questions of you last time, right. so... I'm looking forward to where this conversation conversation leads today. Well, and that was my first time as the guest. Um, I mentioned a previous background in content creation and podcasting. Uh, so I recorded 181 episodes of a previous show I had. 180 of those involved interviewing someone else. And the other one was a brief introduction to what the show was about, talking about myself and my friend talking about himself for 10 minutes, who was co-hosting with me. Uh, so that was my first time as a guest. Um, so it's only appropriate that we would return the favor here today. Yeah. So this is this is very exciting. Um, so we're here in Charlotte. Great pleasure to be back in the Queen City of Charlotte, North Carolina, at Amelie's Cafe for this recording. In, in Charlotte. In Charlotte, yes. yes. In Charlotte, North Carolina, of course, <laughs> Mecklenburg County. Um, and uh, I figure that it would make sense for us to start uh, where you generally start. Uh, so I'm taking the same format of question that you use when you introduce guests and when you uh, and your audience meet guests on this Casually Profound series yeah. and just swapping your name in for, for my name or anyone else's name. So we'll start there and uh, see where we go. 
Sounds good. So away we go here today. Um, so first question to you, who do others think Sai Vasam is? Yes. Now, obviously, I, this question was not a surprise to me. <laughs> really? You it, don't say? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I've tried to take in the approach of, uh, of not thinking about it specifically for this context. Um, to answer kind of like as, as I would if I was just having a normal conversation with anyone and they just spontaneously asked that question. So, just kind of thinking about it on the spot here, who do others think I am? I would probably say, I think there's like different aspects of myself, right? So there's um, the person who, let's say, grew up in Kansas City, Kansas, the person who went to college at UT Texas where I met you, this person who got a job, started working, becoming a young professional in Atlanta, and then continued moving on to Charlotte, working at the startup, etc. right? So there's kind of that educational, professional side of things. Um, and I think I give off some sort of... So I think it translates into two, two ways, right? So educational-wise, I think people saw me when I was growing up as a someone who had their stuff together, who knew stuff, right? Who who had some sort of knowledge. Um, the application of that knowledge, who knows? Um, then that translated into um, kind of a job, right? And you know, where does that job lead me? And so, I think I I went through let's say a renaissance. Um, I mean, we are in Amelie's <laughs> French bakery. With numerous books about yeah. <laughs> the renaissance yes. behind us. Yes, exactly. Um, so I went through a personal renaissance, let's say, I think after I graduated and um, a couple years in, which, you know, less than two years after I graduated, COVID happened. Um, so I think really when people talk about post-COVID life, you know, it's, I think a lot of who I am right now is, has been dictated obviously by who I was before, before COVID, but a lot of it, who I am now directly has been involved and impacted by who I am because of COVID. And so, um, who do others think I am? So I think right now, others think that I am a motivated person, um, an inspired person. For some, I think they may think, inspired by what? I think they may know that I want to do something, but they don't know exactly what I want to do from a larger sense. I think they can see that I have a bigger picture, but they may not fully know what that picture is. Right, so I think they have pieces to the puzzle, but they may not be able to see the entire puzzle. I mean, nor can I, but I have more pieces to my puzzle than other people have pieces to my puzzle. Presumably. Yes. <laughs> Um, and so I think let's, let's like on the case of work for example I think I'm a executor I'm a planner which are not contradictory I think hopefully when I need to be I, I can be both or or one or the other right yeah. I mean I uh, clearly not contradictory I would say in some senses you almost need the planning component to be an executor yes exactly right. so it's almost a prerequisite 100% and so 
from that perspective, you know, I think I'm dedicated. I'm bought. If I'm bought into a mission, if I'm bought into something, I think people can see that passion or that confidence, see that um, invigorating quality, right? From a non-professional side, I think people may think that I am very reflective, right? So the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of journaling, doing a lot of reading, all those type of things. Going into what people, some people would say, self-growth, self-development type of realms, and so they may think that they see me, they may see me as someone who wants to continue to get better, not just, not even necessarily for a specific purpose, but I think just because he can. Right. So I think that is one aspect that people outside of work see me as, and some people I think in work see me as potentially as that as well, since there's there are blurry, blurry lines in between the two. Right. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of leave it there. I know you've taken a bunch of notes. I, I, I have <laughs> taken a bunch of notes, yeah, yeah. So yes. If you need more paper, uh, <laughs> let me know. I, I, have, I have additional paper oh, and, okay, okay. and pens, which is good since yeah. my first pen kind of died on me here. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I want to go back to something that you mentioned very briefly in passing, but yeah. I mentioned this very briefly in passing on uh, when I was a guest on this show. Yeah. Uh, and so we need to very quickly mention this. Uh, this is not at all a slight to our friends in the show me state of Missouri, yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned growing up in Kansas City, Kansas. We do need to point out that <laughs> there is one state that has Kansas, that has a Kansas City in it that is superior right. to the other state that has a Kansas City in it. Exactly. Right? Kansas I mean, is a superior side. Yes. Would you, would you agree with that assessment that uh, while Missouri is, is an excellent place, yes. Kansas is the better of the two states? Objectively. Objectively. <laughs> we can quantify this. Yes. It is object <laughs> it, an objectively quantifiable fact, regardless of the paradigm and the framework yes. within, within which we are working, that Kansas is superior to Missouri. Again, I'm not demeaning our, our friends in the show me state at yeah. all. <laughs> exactly, I, I would agree with that. Yes, all right, but anyways, we'll, uh, we'll set that aside. We could revisit that another time potentially, probably right. not over the course yeah. of this conversation. <laughs> um, but I want to return, uh, of course, there are a lot of things that you mentioned over the course of that response that, yeah. that we'll hopefully have the opportunity to take a deeper dive into here today. But I want to return to the whole notion of the question. So you obviously knew the question was coming. And of course, it was a rather scripted question on my part. Um, it's not really a question that I came up with. It's um, modifying and adapting a question that you came up with. Mm. So you, of course, start these casually profound conversations. Not profoundly casual, yes. but casually profound yes. conversations. <laughs> asking um, who others think your guest is. Yeah. Uh, and I touched on this a little bit when I was on your show. Um, but I guess where I want to take this next, and then we can return back to some of the things that you mentioned in your story and some of the characteristics that others might perceive you as having or that you might perceive yourself as having. Yeah. But to what extent, if at all, does it matter how others, um, who, who others think you or anyone else is? Is that, what, what value do we find in asking that type of question? Uh, is that question of relevance in how we, we live our day-to-day -day lives? Is it just an interesting thing to consider um, I, I assume yeah. that we could say it affects our interpersonal relationships with other people, um, but why that question, to what extent does it matter? Okay, so several different branches here. Of course. So, 
Yes. <laughs> what other kind of conversation yeah. would we have? So the, the, the so I'll describe the inception of why I actually picked this question to begin with, starting even with my first guess. Um, so there's essentially um, the, the framework that I actually wanted to have when I was starting to have these conversations was asking three scripted questions um, throughout the course of the conversation. So instead of not, uh, not just like the first three questions being those three scripted questions, the first one being the first scripted question, maybe sometime in the middle, the second one, and sometime towards the end, the third one. And then obviously the middle would kind of fill itself in naturally. The first question obviously being the one that you asked of who do others think you are. The second question is who do you think you are? How do, how do others think, who do others think you are? Who do you think you are? The third one being who are you actually? Or you know, some form of that. Right? Who do I think, who do others think I am? Who do I think I am? And who am I? Right, so that's that's probably the deepest question, you know, one of the you know two three deepest questions we can ask ourselves as humans, right? Who am I? So uh, that or, was, or we could do it to be making fun of uh, James Stockdale. Yeah, <laughs> you're familiar with that. When, uh, so he was Ross Perot's running mate in 1992, <laughs> and he's up on the debate stage debating uh, in the vice presidential debate. Al Gore, very prominent senator, who became vice president. Dan Quayle, who was the incumbent vice president. Yeah. No one's heard of Stockdale. So he starts out by saying, who am I? Yeah. Why am I here? <laughs> exactly. So, so that's usually how I use the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the political debate context. Yeah, of yes. course. Um, in this context, and then in my like reflective context, I think those are three important questions to be asking at all times. Because I think that gives context to how I live my life uh, holistically. So it's not just, so, so one of the other branches here is about perception and reality. And it's, that's, that's something that I've been thinking about and I've journaled about um, for, for a little bit. And so, you know, perception is a, so, so we see percep perception as something that is subjective, right? But to a certain person, it, it is a fact, right? Like, my perception of something, like, that is a fact in my head. Right. Well, I mean, there, there's a common saying. Perception, perception is reality. reality. Right. Exactly. But, but when we say perception is reality, I think we may... Is it implied that if we don't have that perception is reality, if we just say perception, is, is it implied that perception is not reality? Right? And we have to say perception is reality to make it, you know, fit into that context. Right. Um, and so... I would say that the reason I asked that question of who do others think you are is to first understand ourselves. I think we need to understand who others think we are first. So, I mean, this is a way of working outside in, basically. So I think there's both ways of working inside out of who do you think you are, who am I, who do I think I am, and who do others think I am, right? So you can work inside out or outside in, which is the, the sequence that I would lay out in the podcast initially, right? And so who do others think I am is, is that perception of yourself by other people, right? And so if you can understand how what you do 
is perceived by other people, you can, you may potentially be able to change who you are. And so, and I don't, and I, I think there's a negative connotation to changing who I am. There's, you know, these days it's all about, you know, like be who you are, like be you, like all all that type of terminology. And I think that's amazing. And there's a piece of that when someone says be you fully or be yourself and lean into your strengths you know forget about your weaknesses or not forget you know just that type of uh, phrasing it it kind of dismisses how what you do can impact others right if, if you're only thinking about like you know one specific uh, example here so, so for example um, um, let's say one one mistake I made um, at work in the professional context is uh, you know I sent out an email last year um, about like a, a course that I was um, starting so this was like October last year and I yeah, I wrote it out in the middle or you know on the weekend outside of work hours um, but then I scheduled to send it you know Tuesday afternoon during work hours and it was a long email right and so my reality was you know, I, I know I wrote that email that wasn't on company time, but then I sent it during Tuesday, you know, after a meeting, like when stuff was going down at work and people are trying to put out fires metaphorically and all this type of stuff, right? But then, you know, let's say they're putting out all these fires and then they see this email from another, one of their coworkers and they see it at 3 p.m. Like it, it took like probably, you know, it, took, it did actually take me an hour and a half, two hours to write it. And from their perspective, it it would have taken a significant amount of time for someone to write that, right? And so that per their perception of that event, I can't fully dismiss that. And that perception that they have is their reality, right? Even though I have my reality, I can't impose my reality to be their perception, right? And so I think that is important to understand when we say be your true self or be yourself fully or something along those lines. I think it's important to take into account to not to dismiss other people's perception of what you do or how you think or what you say and how you act and all that type of stuff. So, um, yeah, so, so that would be kind of how I, why I had that question, why I had it specifically within the context of a podcast and how I think about that question as it relates to you know, perception and reality and how it impacts myself, how it impacts others. Okay, so as we were exploring how others view you, how you view yourself, and so on and so forth, um, you, of course, uh, in your answer to my initial question, you were talking about your journey, some of the places you've lived, some of the different steps that you've taken. Yeah. And you touched on growing up in Kansas City, Kansas. Right. <laughs> Um, going to UT, living in Atlanta and Charlotte in your professional life. So how do you think that those experiences have helped form who you are? Obviously there are many places that we could take that question just like any other question. Right, but I don't, when you asked me, I don't think I mentioned growing up in suburban Houston, right? You did choose to mention in your answer growing up in, in Kansas City, Kansas. Right, yeah. And you mentioned some of the traits that people saw in you or perceived you as having when you were younger. Yeah. You know, having your stuff together, knowing a lot of information, um, things of that nature. 
So how did that experience growing up, that perception, experiences that you then had at UT Austin and so on and so forth, how did that shape who you are? How does that factor into the person you are? That those steps in that journey and the way people perceive you during those steps in the journey? Yeah, good question. Um, I would say, I think I was given a lot of opportunities, obviously, by parents first and foremost, family, um, to pursue things that I was interested in, like chess, like geography, things in the academic world, things in the athletic world, um, you know, like tennis, um, ping pong a little bit later, uh, obviously, I'm not... It's, it's impacted how I how I play table tennis at the office on, <laughs> on a weekly basis, um, <laughs> but you know those opportunities um, really allowed me to discover what I was good at, what I was not good at, what I liked doing, what I did not like doing, those sorts of things. One thing I will say here is having an older brother helped me in terms of. You know, he was five years old, he is five years older, and with like, you know, first generation, you know, immigrant family, it's, you know, my parents are figuring it out as they go, right? There's no handbook for this, there's no, you know, some, somewhere they can look to and say, hey, yep, this is the next step, this is the next step, right? It's whatever they've learned, their lived experiences, and how they translate that as parenting to us. And so, my brother was basically the guinea pig, for lack of a better term, the experiment, if you will, of going through elementary school, middle school, high school, college, working five years before me. And my parents were able to adapt their parenting style, conversation style, etc., to who I was becoming. And so, I think that was a big factor in seeing what were the options out there. It's like, yes, I could join a startup and still be successful, right? Because there are, you know, definitions, for example, maybe some implicit, some explicit, uh, by immigrant parents, especially Indian parents, that, you know, success may be defined by, you know, um, working at a big company or a noticeable company, uh, having X amount of money, having X car, house, partner, etc. right? Um, and so, I think... Uh, that, that family structure was definitely a, a big, big aspect to who I am today. Of uh, being able to see with my own eyes what are the possibilities out there and, and to explore those. From a, an educational standpoint, right? Um, so I guess, from, from, let's say from a, a spiritual standpoint, I also went to something called, you know, a Satisai organization, which was basically a multi-faith organization whose main principles are to love everyone and to serve everyone. Right, so, and I would go to that uh, once, once a week, basically. So there was like Sunday school, the equivalent of Sunday school with other children my age, and um, learn about different stories, learn about different, um, about morals, learn about human values, learn about service, experience service, do service for others, etc. And so that was. Um, a, and it was since it was weekly, or at least you know very recurrent over a long period of time, it was ingrained into me those beliefs, those values. As I became an older child and adolescent, you know, older teenager, young adult, young professional, 
right? So those values of love, peace, uh, right conduct, um, uh, you know, of, of all those non-violence, all these human values that hopefully we may take for granted sometimes, or unfortunately we may take for granted sometimes. Those are all a part of me as I went through college and, and became becoming who I am today, right? Um, from a, let's say, a, a knowledge perspective, right, there's, I, I kind of view knowledge and wisdom as two pillars, um, and, and they're separate, uh, right? But I, they're definitely related. I think knowledge is a, I think knowledge is, I think, more external. Uh, at least that's how I would kind of say it. There's internal knowledge, obviously, knowledge of the self, but I would actually characterize that as, as, as spirituality, as, as wisdom, um, where knowledge is like, all right, I'm learning about the world. I'm learning about these facts, about these stories, about history, all these different things. And then this wisdom is how do I take that knowledge and put it into action and gain something from it experientially because I think that's the best way people learn. And so, um, so, so, you know, back to your question about like the, you know, how did others, you know, viewing me as like someone who was focused on, you know, let's say acquiring facts, right? How, how did that help me throughout? I think I was able to understand the perception, uh, understand, gain an understanding of the world, you know, with my interest in geography, with let's say a more visionary mindset, at least starting to land the uh, formulate the framework for it um, by playing chess, right? Of you know, hey, I'm thinking a few st steps ahead, right? I'm planting that seed of I can think a few steps ahead in chess. Does that translate to thinking a few steps ahead in, in other areas of my life, right? Um, and so all, I think all those different types of things, all, they all laid the foundation for, um, for, how I, for how I think today from a social aspect, from educational aspect, from a family aspect, from a spiritual aspect. Yeah, so I, I want to return to something that um, you touched on there, being a first-generation immigrant and your family not really having sort of a blueprint or a handbook or to the extent that they did, not really following necessarily a blueprint or a handbook yeah. um, with you and with your brother. Um, so, you know, I think with my experience, yeah. of course, I, I'm not a first generation immigrant, right? I was, I've always lived in the US. My parents always lived in the US. Three of my four grandparents always lived in the US. And the other one was born in Southern Germany she and her brother, parents, they came to the U.S. when she was quite young to escape the Nazi regime. Um, so she spent the vast majority of her life in the U.S. Yeah. Right. So with me, I felt like there was sort of a, a handbook and a blueprint and still is. And it's not, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? That we're, right yeah. we're discussing this to explore this whole notion yeah. and, and try to, to parse through it. That's why I'm asking the question. Right, yeah. Right? It's, there's, no, there's no good or bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there might be some situations and uh, some ways that having that handbook or blueprint is extremely valuable. And there may be other places where maybe it's a little restricted. 
Yeah. Um, and maybe it's good to have it be restricted, depending on the person and the context, right? right yeah. no, it's not a it's not a Manichaean situation. It's not really a black right, and white yeah. situation here. Um, but you know, I, I did feel like there were certain expectations. There's a certain path that was expected just based on the types of lives that and the the general blueprint and outline that we had followed as, as a family. Yeah. Because this was not a first time thing. This was not a first go round. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course I myself, uh, you know, with my professional aspirations and some of my um, more creative entrepreneurial type personal goals, yeah. I found this desire to, you know, to stray from that sort of blueprint. Yeah. Um, and then in some ways that's been tricky and difficult. So I guess I want to dive into this lack of handbook, lack of blueprint, because you're a first-generation family, and for you to talk about some of the benefits of that, maybe some of the drawbacks of that, maybe kind of give a, a larger evaluation of that, how it's affected you, maybe some wider implications of that type of situation as well. Yeah. Yeah, so I think... I think to understand that fully, I think there needs to be some context of of how, you know, generally speaking, my parents' generation, and then specifically my parents, may have been brought up. What is their growing up process like? What was their childhood? What was their education? And their whole kind of story to help contextualize everything that they've parented me by. Right, and so I think from you know India specifically, India is a very um, you know it's very structured, regimented type of play. Um, I guess from a, a life perspective, you know, it's, it's a very handbook-oriented kind of society. Right. All right. It's like all right, here's you get you know you focus on education. And then you graduate, you do your master's, you get a good job, you work at a big company, you settle down, you get married, you have kids, and then repeat the process. Right. And, and I feel like, um, and again, this isn't bad, this isn't good, right, yeah, yeah, and there are yeah. always exceptions, always outliers. Um, I feel like generally those sorts of notions are brought with Indian families when they come to the U.S. And yeah. then they're applied just within the context of living in the United States as opposed to living in India. That's the same sort of handbook. Right, being applied just in a different in a different land. Exactly right, and so I think there. When it comes, so then when you so that may that type of system or that framework may work in the context, quote unquote, work or be more um, induce, uh, conducive to working in India, for example, right? When more people may think like that, right? But then when you apply that context, that framework, sorry, when you apply that framework in the context of a different type of society like the U.S., right, there are going to be clashes, right? And so, like, one of the big things that, um, you know, people think about, there are, like, when you think about identity, you can go back to the first question, right? Like, I think Americans view me as an Indian. And then... Indians in India view me as an American because I, I, I don't fully fluently speak the language there right. and obviously you can you know with my skin color and who I am physically you can see that I'm not a, a white-skinned American right 
And so then I'm in the, you know, a lot of people are like this, whether Indian or um, Asian, uh, African-American, you know, Latino, like every part of the world when you are visibly non-white, you can see it's like, okay, it's, uh, it's others, right, for example, right? But, and so, so where's, where's that, you know, where's that gray area? So like, I'm not, I'm not in on one group and I'm, I'm, and I'm not in on the other, right? So like, I'm somewhere in between. And so I think that is a hard place to, to parent, right? Of like, like my parents are, are Indian and are Indian to Indians, you know, and are perceived as Indians to Indians. Right, and they're clearly not perceived to be, I would say, Americans to Americans, right? And they're perceived to be Indians to Americans as well, right? But I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. And I think that middle ground has, you know, from a pros and cons perspective, that has, I think, one, you know, strength and weakness, I think, of it is it's allowed me to create my own identity, right? I don't have to fall into one or the other. I can be both and I can be other things as well. So I think, and then seeing other people who would also fall in that category has allowed me to pick out, let's say role models, pick out people who also would fit that category. It's like, oh, there are other people like me. I don't have to be American by the American standards. I don't have to be Indian by the Indian standards. I can be a mix of the best of both worlds and bring in other aspects of the world as well to inculcate into myself as well. And so, so, so I, I don't really, I'm not a huge fan of necessarily pros and cons because I think pros and cons and strengths and weaknesses are really just this two cuts, two sides of the same coin and it just depends on the situation and the context of where you apply that trait for example so like let's say the trait of being uh, let's say Indian American right in the, that, uh, the middle part of the overlapping circles right it's like a Venn diagram the, that's the trait of being a, a combination of the two being American, you know, it, it's a strength when I'm able to have different perspectives on American culture, on Indian culture, and etc. Maybe it, may, it might be a weakness in other contexts, right? And so, I think growing up with that, you know, background, it's I try to view things, everything as a strength. Though it's like, all right, if if it's if it's viewed as a weakness, how can I really like transform it into my strength? Um, and how, how do I shift the context of what I see and how, what I experience into making it, transforming that weakness into a strength. I think that's a big thing for um, how I've trained my mindset the last few years as well. Transforming weaknesses into strengths. In addition to working on skills, for example, it's training my mindset to think like, all right, this, this weakness, like I just need to sit, change the situation and it's really a strength, right? So, you know, I'm not sure if that's fully answered the question, but that's kind of how I think about what you said. Sure. Um, so I want to uh, dive a little deeper into a phrase that you, or a term that you used earlier, 
And of course, this very much fits in in a lot of ways with what you were just discussing. Yeah. But you described yourself as having a visionary mindset. Yeah. So sort of what does that two-word phrase mean? What are the implications of that term? What, what, what does it mean to have a visionary mindset? How does that, and how, how does that apply to you? Yeah, so I would say visionary mindset. And of course, this fits in with what you were saying about strengths and weaknesses, right? Yeah. Where you were talking about transforming your weaknesses. Um, another thing that you sort of referenced there was that these are not hermetically sealed boxes, right? It's not like we have the strengths over here and the weaknesses over here. Right. It all sort of dovetails together. It all fits together. Yeah. Right. And then you kind of have the, a vision of where you want to go with that, how you want to make adjustments um, based on, on that perception. So, you know, the, the visionary mindset, um, at least what I interpret you as saying with visionary mindset, you know, that, that was showing through to some degree yeah. in, your, in your answer just now. Gotcha. Yeah, but um, vision, what does it mean yeah. to have a visionary mindset? Where do you see this so, applying to you? I'll bring a few different things in here, if I can remember them all. One is... Well, you know, I, I have more oh, yes. scraps of paper and pens. <laughs> yes, we need a full whiteboard here. We, we do. I know, I'm a huge whiteboard person. Yeah. We, um, we do. And so, from a visionary mindset, I think it, to boil it down to as simple terms as possible, it's being the person that you want to be, right? I think when people think of visionary, they may think of the all the things that pe that they may want to do, right? Of like, here's the things that I want to achieve. An achievement is an action, right? It's, it's a result, right? it's an accomplishment. And so when you, when, let's say other people think like that, it's, it's putting, I think that has planted the seed, for example, of society thinking in terms of yes, I need that job to be fulfilled, or I need that car to show that I am secure, or I need a big house to show that I have wealth, right? And so, I wanna make that this clear distinction here of visionary mindset doesn't mean what I wanna do. Visionary mindset for me is who I wanna be, and then how do I translate who I want to be into helping others be who they want to be? And then you know, finding clarity of who they want to be and then helping them be that person. And so one, one thing I was thinking about recently was about, well, I guess before I go there, um, so there's this concept that I learned um, in a workshop a couple years ago about the, uh, it's a, a be-do-have triangle. Right, so so there's like there's the first one is a uh, they called it like the victim mindset. Um, that was a it's basically ways of phrasing it in your mind. These are stories that you tell yourself implicitly or explicitly. So the have do be mindset is once I have something or when I have something, I can do something, so I can be someone. So like that's a vic that, that would they characterize that as a victim mindset. It's like oh, once I have the car, I can 
travel around the country and I can be happy, right? That'd be a victim mindset. Then there's a worker mindset of, of do, be, have. So I need to do this so I can be this so I can have this, right? So I need to work at, at Apple so I can be happy so I can have um, happiness, you know, all that stuff, right? And then there's like the, then be, do, have, right? I think that is the one that I want to be shifting towards and I, I hopefully, I, I think I've been more aligned with that mindset for the last like one, two years of be, do, have. So if I, when I am the person, when I am, you know, insert adjective, when I am visionary, right? I can do visionary things. I can accomplish whatever I want. And then I will naturally have everything that I want to have, right? So it's like shifting my mindset from that victim mindset to that worker mindset to a, a winner mindset, if, for lack of a better term. Um, or, or in this case, it would be a visionary mindset, right? Um, and so I think it's important to distinguish between those two things, uh, three things. And then from there, uh, what I was journaling, what I was thinking about a few days ago was about um, using specific words. So I think, uh, so when we relate this be, do, have into words, right? Uh, so let's say, take have first. I think if we have money, money is usually the lubricant, if you will, as a facilitator to allow us to have things, I would say. Money is probably the biggest thing that allows us to have things in our life. Um, open to hearing what other things may also allow us to have things. Um, but I found that money, in whatever form of currency, will, <laughs> will allow us to have have things, yes. right? It, it, regardless of whether this is the Kazakh tenge yes. or the uh, <laughs> or or the uh, Malaysian ringgit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Whatever currency, intercurrency here, right? Or the Bhutanese gold trim, right? Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. So from you know, you brought it up. Not yes, maybe. yeah. <laughs> so you know, money will allow us to have things. Um, if you look at do. Right. What will allow us to do things? This is more of an adjective. This is a. I would say this is motivation. Motivation allows us to do things. If we don't have motivation, then there's then there's no reason to do anything. Right. Then I think the be the word that translates to be what allows us to be something or be someone is inspiration. I think I think uh, I want to distinguish between inspiration and motivation here. Right of motivation being someone, or being something that motivates to do something, but without that visionary mindset of who you want to be, then, then you're like, you're on a ladder and you're climbing, but you're not asking yourself, is the ladder on the right building that you want to get to, right? right? To get to the top two, quote unquote. And so it's like, all right, I have to, first have that inspiration for who I want to be, that visionary mindset, 
and then I can be motivated. It was like, if I'm inspired to be that person, then I'm naturally going to be motivated to do everything that I can to be that person that I've set out to be. And then in that process, I will naturally have money, access, power, the things that come with money to have everything that I want. Right? So when I talk about uh, you know, your question about visionary mindset, it's not necessarily the do or the have pieces of it. It's not about the money. It's not about the motivation. It's about the inspiration and the vision for who I want to be and then everything will naturally roll down after that. So I guess that's how I'd answer that question. Yeah, and, and when I asked you earlier, who do others think Sai Vasam is? Yeah. Um, I mean, you very much drew on those themes, right? You mentioned self-growth, someone who wants to get better because you can. And that seems very much aligned with this sort of be-do-have model that you just yeah. outlined and the sorts of things that you're talking about with this visionary mindset or winner mindset. Right. Because we, you know, we, don't, we don't win enough in this country anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, we, we need to make it the, great <laughs> again. <laughs> we, we, we do, <laughs> yes. You know, that's as, because as, leaders as, are yes. sharper, more clever, more cutting. Yes, as some people would say. But uh, yes, as, as a certain certain someone would say Um, but no it all I mean it does seem to fit together very much with how you uh, described others as perceiving you and how others view you and think of you in the initial uh, in your response to my initial question yeah Um, go ahead yeah yeah what did you want to go anywhere from there yeah no so I mean I think um, yeah like I think really going into like there were a few workshops that I attended like in 2019, uh, uh, in February, it was actually I. It was fortuitous because um, have I mentioned this before to you? Or I don't think so. Okay, yeah. February 2019, there was a workshop going on um, by um, it was it's called the Isha Foundation ISHA um, by um, like Indian mystic guru, however you want to frame it. Um, Title him as uh, called Sadhguru. And he, you know, he has a large nonprofit organization, foundation, and they had a workshop going on in Atlanta, February of 19, which was, you know, when the Chiefs were playing the Patriots in the AFC Championship game two yes. weeks prior to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And me being a Chiefs fan, I was, if, and, and I was living in Atlanta, and the Super Bowl was happening in Atlanta that year. And so if, if the Chiefs won, uh, you can sure bet that I was not going to be going to this uh, workshop that was going on. I was going to be involved in the Super Bowl festivities with the Kansas City Chiefs. Despite them playing in Missouri and not Kansas. Right, yes. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, but unfor- as uh, history played out, um, the Chiefs did lose to the Patriots. And, but that allowed me a free weekend um, and allowed me to go to this uh, workshop that you know, was exposed to some of these ideas of you know of more being more self-aware this was you know nine months eight nine months after i graduated college right so i'm still trying to discover who i am after post-college right and so you know going to this were a three four day workshop in atlanta opened me opened my eyes to what was out there um attending workshops during covid online workshops um you know, in May, June, July of 2020, you know, where this like be do have model was introduced to me, um, as lo- along with many other things, right? I think these certain checkpoints along the way have stunt, or not stunt, the opposite of stunted, have increased my growth trajectory 
right? Um, and then I think like with, with what you said with like growth, I, I think that's a big, um, big thing here. Of uh, so growth, we view as um, I would say one definition of growth is the difference between who you are right now and who you want to be over a course of time. Right. So point B minus point A divided by time. Right. So like that's that's growth. So, but what's inherent in growth is um, is that time element, right? And so, but that implies that who you are today is different from who you want to be, right? But that, in a sense, is contradictory to what I was saying earlier of uh, of just being, doing, having, right? It's not it's not who you want to be; it's who are you right now. And if you are that person that you quote unquote want to be, then you already are that person that you want to be. So there, then there's no real time element there. And so how that relates to growth, I would say is growth is just a construct that we've created because there's a difference between who we are and who we want to be. And we may feel that growth either if we are growing in a linear space, we may feel it in an exponential case as I've felt it. But then I think the ideal scenario is as the exponent increases, if you will, on this exponential growth graph, it gets further and further, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's asymptotic, but it's, it gets further and further, and it goes up to um, infinity, and it's actually a, a line that doesn't have a slope at all, right? And so growth in that case, there, and when it's like a vertical line, right, there's actually nothing traversed on the x-axis of time. It's just we just are that person, all right? And so I think the self-growth mindset that people have, and you know, I guess I said I did have, or others may perceive me as having, I think it's, I think that's our human way of saying, like, yes, I am a person and I want to be this person and here's what I do to help be that person. But I think in an ideal world without a construct of time, then we just, there's no reason to force ourselves to follow that path across time. We can just shortcut that, we can short circuit that into just being that person and everything else. We can do whatever we want, we can be motivated to do all that, and we can have all the money, we can have all the travels, we can have all the knowledge, et cetera, that we can have. So, that was an unprompted, yes. un answered a question well, that and, and you didn't that, ask. And that knowledge well, could include knowing the currencies of every country in the world. Oh, yes, well. We hope, yes. eventually. For right, yes. I mean, that would, yes, that would be. That would be ideal. Yes, that would be one of those things that yes. is included in that infinite growth. <laughs> yes. Um, so, at the beginning of this conversation, when I asked you who others think you are, yeah. um, and of course you were outlining different parts of your life and, and different um, parts of your journey, uh, you talked about coming to Atlanta and Charlotte for your professional life. Can you talk a little bit more about your professional life and how that fits in or does not fit in, to what extent it does fit in, with um, some of these other things that we've been talking about with a visionary mindset, um, the be-do-have sort of methodology, I guess, that we could say, um, and uh, 
being who you want to be and self-growth and these different concepts that we that we touched on. Yeah. Or does yes, the, the professional aspect not fit in? It is just oh, no, sort of no, a mean, means to an end. It, I, yeah. But I assume that it, it has to fit yes, in. I mean, it, it very talk, much does. Talking to Sai in a yeah. casually <laughs> profound manner on the Sai Sai's yeah. podcast. So, you know, the, the way I know Sai, it all rolls into one, as, yeah, uh, as, as, know, as the great Bill Walton. As the great Bill Walton might well, say. Yes. Or Frank Caliendo as Bill Walton might yes, say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, from a professional mindset or standpoint, it. I think people can, like, I want to help. So, so, so every company, let's say, has or should have like a purpose, mission, values, right? But how how often do we? You know, so those should actually be implicit in what we do, right? Like, we don't necessarily look at our company mission every day to remind ourselves. Oh, that's right. We are trying to be the best in laundry and dry cleaning right. in the country. Right. It's like, but, oh, it may, it, but it may not be a bad thing to refer back to it periodically to kind of ground yourself. Exactly, which is the, you're right, which is a point. It's like, yes, we need to remind ourselves that that is our purpose, that is our mission, and that helps drive our um, actions and our projects that we accomplish to help give time back to people, help be a positive impact to the community when we build these laundry lab stores and roll out to you service in these markets across the country, right? And so, from uh, from a, you know, a career standpoint, I think I take more of a uh, a lead by example type of route compared to a, um, a a lead by telling or a lead by talking about it standpoint. It's more of I, I try to think about things at bottom up, and so. It's like I, I want to talk to the people. I want to talk to people individually, and understand where they're at, understand how they think, and sh- share my perspective in the process. And maybe if I can, let's say, sh- shift our collective mindset into helping us accomplish what we can achieve, but knowing what, um, I guess, knowing how, you know certain things will, will happen or not, not happen based off of how we think, what we do, etc. Um, I, I kind of have, want, you want to have these one-off conversations and then start building that picture. And you know, for, for, um, so from an ex- execution standpoint, it's like, all right, we have the purpose, mission, values, right? But then how, how does that allow us to set, uh, you know, we have OKRs, which are objectives, key results, and initiatives to help us achieve those purpose, mission, values, right? Um, and then really digging into, are these the correct objectives that we want to be achieving? Are these the correct um, KPI, are these the correct metrics that we want to be tracking to help us achieve our purpose and our mission? And so I think my way of contributing with this mindset of being a visionary, I would, I would say is a visionary mindset, into work is asking the right questions to the people who have the most impact at work, right? Who, are the, who is the CEO? Who are the the, you know, the president of the Laundry Lab brand, right? Who is the director of franchise operations? All these, you know, high-level people who have major impact on how we allocate money, which projects we do at work. I want to force them to think about things that they haven't thought about before in a way that they haven't thought about before, so we can do things that no one has done before, right? 
and that I think is one of a visionary mindset and I think that is uh, this was actually similar to uh, I, I think I said some form of this answer to a question that I had when I was actually first interviewing with Tuya Laundry, and it was like a uh, designer that we had and he's like he's my age and you know he's like yeah he asked me something along the lines of what would you do or it's like what value would you bring to the team that is different from anything else right and, and what I said was you know similar to that of I would ask questions and I would bring a different perspective that no one else has thought about before, right? So I think that, I think a visionary mindset, you know, if you think about Steve Jobs, is, you know, it's, uh, he wasn't building products based off of market research, you know, that's what he says in the book, right? He and, builds, and, and by the book, we mean the Walter Isaacson, Walter Isaacson biography Isaacson. that, sorry, yes. Yeah, yes, he, uh, you know, Steve Jobs, of course, died in 2011 right. um, from recurring complications from cancer. Right. Uh, Walter Isaacson, very prominent biographer, per Steve Jobs' request, uh, met with Steve Jobs a series of, a number of times right. in order to, to work yeah. on a biography yeah. of Steve Jobs um, that sadly you know, came out after Steve Jobs had passed. Right, right. And so, <laughs> you know, his, vis his visionary mindset was doing things, he would lean very much into intuition, right? Of, uh, what you know, many times in the book they mention it as bending reality. Right. Sometimes for the better. Sometimes people would perceive that as delusional. Right. right? I mean, pe people didn't know that they wanted an iPhone or right. an iPad or whatever the case, a Macintosh yeah. computer, whatever the case yeah. may be, because it didn't exist. Exactly. They didn't. They didn't know that it could exist. It never occurred to them that right. that type of device could exist. So they didn't know they wanted it until Steve Jobs had that vision exactly. and had the skills to ensure that it was able to come into being, yeah. that his vision was able to come to fruition, and then people saw, okay, yes, I want that. I never thought about that And now I can't ago, live without it. But now I need it. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's, that's the thing, right? One of the biggest things is how do you persuade people to want something that they don't know that they need right. until they actually have experienced having it, and then like, now I can't live without it, right? I think that, that's one of the biggest things, because like, as, a, as a marketer, you know, you think about and like marketing and sales, and you think about people's pain points. Or like, how can I solve a specific pain point, right? right? But that pain, uh, when you say pain point, that's within the current context of someone's lived experience, right? When you say like it is the, within their experiences, they have experienced this pain, right? So I think yes, there has to be product services, etc., out there that address those pain points. But then I think the next level of that is how do you address things that haven't even occurred yet in a sense that they want right and or and how do you have product services that do both of addressing that pain point while simultaneously getting them f providing them more value than just addressing that pain point right and so in a sense it's like you know uh, you know just like trading your problems for my problems but it's like you know it's it, it's moving up the level of problems if you will you know there are unfortunately homeless people they have certain issues that you know that they need to address and that we need to address as a society then you know we have mental health issues for people who have you know good homes or quote-unquote um, or at least you know physically you know they have a place to stay they have food all these different things right. that a homeless person may not you know may not have and then you know they follow that handbook right exactly right but that's not the be all end all right exactly and so it's like you know, and then a millionaire might have a, you know, a larger house or a nice car, but then they, you know, they'll, they'll say they probably have problems, right? 
and then so you're just like moving up so you can't really escape problems now I don't like the framing of problems but that's a separate issue right um, and so it's just understanding where we are um, internally to you know shift that let's say problem mindset into an opportunity mindset which obviously I'm not the first one to say right, right. so a few more questions a few more places I want to yeah. take this before we eventually wrap up um, uh, but you know, one, an author that I've read a lot over the years uh, is Chris Gillibo uh, out of Portland, Oregon, and he has a site where the theme is the so-called art of nonconformity, right? And he's written a number of books, and one of those books is Born for This, which is to help people find their their dream job, their mm -hmm. dream career. And there's a chapter at the end of the book called Winners Always Quit. Um, which of course runs contrary to what we're usually told about quitting growing up. Yeah. Right. And we, you and I, were discussing this the other day. Um, there are scenarios where quitting is not a good thing. Um, you know, if you know that you want something and you want to achieve something, become something, but it's difficult and there are obstacles in the way. But you know that you want it and it would be beneficial for you and for others to have it then quitting may not be the best course. Right. But um, there are scenarios where quitting makes a lot of sense, where you're going down a path and you recognize that that's not the appropriate path for you and in that, uh, at that point in time or maybe ever. Then quitting might make sense. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about Steve Jobs uh, already today. And when I was the guest on your show in episode seven, I very briefly touched on Steve Jobs and the 2005 commencement address, maybe the most famous commencement address, I guess right. you could say, in yeah. the history of, of you know commencement addresses yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that he gave. And one of the things he talked about, he told three stories from his life. And the first one was about dropping out of Reed College. Um, this would be a separate discussion for another time, but as someone who's, who questions whether going to college after high school was the right move for him or going to quest college yeah. at all was the right move, <laughs> Um, I certainly appreciate the, the juiciness of Steve Jobs, uh, the irony of him at the graduation ceremony, the commencement ceremony right. for one of the most prestigious institutions in the world, talking about how wonderful it was that he dropped out of college. Uh, that always yeah. brings a giant smile to my face when I listen to yeah. it. Um, but I mean, it's the same sort of concept, right? He was going to, to read college in Portland, decided it was a waste of his parents' money. He wasn't really getting out of it when he had hoped to. He didn't see a purpose to it. So he dropped out. He started down one path, recognized that was not the path that he should be on at that point in time, yeah. and quit right. and dropped out. Right. Um, another sort of variation of this, um, just changing the point at which this realization is made, but you, know, you, you kind of used this ladder metaphor earlier, and uh, Stephen Covey, um, who's sort of popular in a lot of different circles, yeah. education circles, entrepreneurship circles, um, talks about you know, not starting to climb the ladder unless you're sure that you want to climb it. Right. So the sort of Steve Jobs, Chris Gillibo for formulation of this is you've started the ladder and then you get off, you, you, know, you step down and maybe go elsewhere. The Covey one would be just not getting on the ladder itself. But I'm saying all this to ask, I guess, in the formation of who others think you are and who you are, yeah. what are some situations where maybe you were a winner, had that winner <laughs> mindset and quit, or you did not begin climbing the ladder that you um, could have climbed, 
uh, because you decided it did not make sense for you to begin climbing that ladder. What are some situations where either or both of those applied and how has that fed into you um, being who you are? How was that part of your journey? Mm, that's a good question. Yes. And there, there were a lot of, a lot of options I gave you for places you could take oh, yeah. that. <laughs> you can talk about Steve Jobs for the next 20 minutes. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's oh, plenty man. of subject matter there to oh, discuss 100%. for way longer than 20 minutes, yes. of course. Um, yeah, so how... Yeah, so... Right, I mean, some yeah. of this... Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we went to... Barnes and Noble yesterday, so we've been talking about various literary figures. Right. Right. And some of this, I guess, overlaps with that famous Robert Frost poem. Yeah. About the road not taken. Yeah. I took the road not taken, or about he, he, you know, two roads that, you know, diverge yeah, in yeah. a forest, and he took the road less traveled, less taken, and it's made all the difference. Uh, Chris Gillibo makes the point, we don't really know what would have happened if he had taken the road that was more traveled. Maybe that would have been right. at least as good. We don't know. But... Um, you know, there are times where, of course, we start down a road yeah. and get off of it, or we have an option of taking a road, a path, climbing yeah. a ladder, whatever metaphor we want to use, and opt not to do that. Right. So what are sort of some of those experiences yeah. uh, in your life, either where you started down a path and quit, or you opted not to climb that ladder, not to go down that path, um, and how that factored into your journey? Yeah, and, so I and think the shaping of who you are today. Right. So I think the one of the biggest things is about um, from a professional standpoint. So okay, sorry. So one thing is about so not professional sign, but I think about habits, right? Habits are an interesting thing, and I would say they're the only thing. Where the only thing, except for currencies and right. airport codes, <laughs> and, of course, yeah, ranking peaks of NBA players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I think habits define us. I, I'm not the first person to say that. You know, habits shape who we are. Habits are a system. All these different things, right? But when you actually look deeper. Everything is a habit, I would say. The way we, like what we do is like, you know, our, what people think of as habits are, are physical actions. Those are just, you know, if you know, be, do, have for framework, that's just a second level, right? Um, but if you, if you take habits at the level of the being, right, those are our thought patterns, those are our feelings, those are our emotions, those are our perceptions, right? And those are all habits as well, whether we externalize them into actions or not, right? And so, from a habit standpoint, there are things that I will intentionally not do, you know, this like road less traveled or um, you know, question that you've framed it as. It's, so everyone wants to build a habit. Everyone wants to build positive, you know, positive habits that serve them. You know, working out, um, eating healthy, all these different things, right? Having great, um, good family, friends, social life, all that type of stuff, right? You know, that's fine, that's good. And people want to continue stacking them, 
one on top of the other, one on top of the other, one on top of the other, in an endless cycle without having some sort of prioritization of, of what those are and really the purpose of those habits, right? So for example, um, one of the things that I really like to do is to journal, right? Another thing that I really like to do is to read. I really like running, running now, um, you know, playing basketball. I guess I haven't done that very much recently. Well, yeah, I, got, I, got, I got to see you do it yesterday. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that basketball. I wouldn't say that what we did yesterday. What I did yesterday was <laughs> playing basketball. I'm not sure uh, I, what I did was <laughs> either. It was uh, right. <laughs> in, but, in a, an attempt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but all these things, right? Um, there's only 24 hours in a day. That's the great equalizer of time. Depending on how you define a day, of course. Right. Yeah, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, but I would say, at some point, there needs to be something that we don't do, right? So I think our habits and our lifestyles and of our habits of being the person that we want to be, the habits of doing the things that we want to do, are really shaped not by the habits that we do, but by the habits that we don't do. And it's really important of saying, saying no, right? So like. I will intentionally not journal on specific days, even when I want to. I will not read on specific days that even though I want to. I will not work out on specific days that I know that I need to, even, right? Because that will build in, at least this is what I believe, at least that will build in a better, let's say, a disciplined mindset of I can understand and I can control my thoughts, my emotions, my feelings, my actions in a way when I say no to things, I am not letting other people dictate or I am not letting my previous thought patterns have an impact that doesn't serve who I want to be, right? And so, you know, from your standpoint, that those are, you know, habits are just the, the micro level of the one answer of your question, right? But then if you scale that up, it's, you know, those small habits then become, let's say, projects that you, that I work on, all right? Like, um, my, my daily journaling practice turned into my blog on my website, right? Now, is the habit, uh, is the habit writing or is the habit doing my blog or is it a com kind of combination of both, right? Um, you know, working out, right? I have the habit of working out now and running and I have a habit of being, calling myself a runner. That's my identity now. One of my identities. A piece of your identity. A piece of my identity, right? And so, it, I think it all starts from those habits and real intentionally saying, this is my identity. This is who I want to be and not letting the outside noise dictate that. Um, you know, there, I think there needs to be a filter, right? Of like, hey, this outside noise is coming in, here's I'm, everything I'm watching on social media, here's everything that I'm reading about, and how does it really contextualize um, what I'm doing? So if I, I think a good example of this is my, um, so I have something called a book vault and a, and a media vault, among other vaults that I have. Right, so it has all the books that I've read, as well as notes, 
both the actual content of the books itself as well as my takes on the books like my ideas and things from the books and as well as podcasts movies documentaries articles podcast everything right and so and it's public for anyone who wants to watch or read them right and so there's so much information that I can be potentially taking in when I am consuming that content right but there is only a certain amount of information that can be coming into me and and even less so of the application of that knowledge into what I would say into wisdom into the experiential knowledge right and so it's having that system of like hey here's actually all my thoughts here's all my learnings here's all my knowledge that I'm learning then I can pick out let's say specific bullet points or specific things I want to think deeper about and say no to the rest of them right and so that in a sense is having the path of you know here's a path less traveled or here's a path like that I want to take I am intentionally choosing there's going to be way more things that I don't take and really only one path that I actually end up taking because you can only really follow one path in a, a tree branch at, at one time and so um, so I, I think those are example of habits and um, you know, how I process knowledge and how I consume content are a couple of examples of how I um, how it sh has changed and shifted my identity into who I am today. Sure. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned in your answer to the initial question, who do others think Saivasam is? You talked about COVID and transitioning into the post-COVID world yeah. as being a part of your identity. You said that it has impacted who you are. Um, so can you flesh that out a little bit and talk a little bit more about that? Um, because, this, I mean, this obviously has uh, impacted a lot of how, who a lot of people are now and how a lot of people behave and perceive others and, and perceive the world around them. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's, it's a very different story, right? It's the same set of circumstances, but it could be very different reactions. Because this is something that we've all been living through to varying degrees very recently, over the last two plus years. Right. Right. The last, um, I guess, what, like 27 and a half months, yeah. right? Since Rudy Gobert tested positive and flights between the U.S. and, and Europe were, can't, were, right. were suspended by the, the Trump administration, right? That was sort of when this was on everyone's radar and, it's the, and then lockdowns, you know, right, two yeah, weeks yeah. to flatten the curve, all that sort of stuff followed from there. Um, but how has that experience, how have recent developments related to COVID, COVID policies, things of that sort, impacted who you are? How has that played yeah. a role in this journey and sure. who others think you are and who you think you are? So one of the big things about COVID, and so like the way that people view COVID and obviously there's, um, there's a horrible aspect of it, of people dying, people having sick health, having long-term consequences that we don't probably know about right now, right? Right, so I want to preface it with that. And obviously there is, impact, irreversible impact that COVID has had, right? Now I can do my soul, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I was just gonna say, and this would, I mean, this could make for a whole episode, right. a series of episodes. Right, right, yeah. There's irreversible impact that COVID has had. There's irreversible impact to the way people have reacted to COVID, the way policies have been set up in reaction to COVID, the way people perceive 
COVID to be as a, as a disease. Right. I mean, there, there are any number of ways, directions that we can take this. Right, exactly. Right. So, yeah, so, right, so understanding that, right, so a couple of quick things here are, one of the things that Sadhguru says that, that I heard recently is, you can't change the content of your life, but you can change the context. So essentially, I, I can't control how fast um, COVID spreads throughout the country or spread throughout the world or the number of people that are dying. Obviously, there's that, you know, I, I can impact my health and the people that I'm generally directly associated with and interact with on a daily basis if I wear my mask or don't, um, all that type of stuff, right? But outside of that initial kind of sphere, I can't affect the, the full number of people who are impacted by it, right? But I can change how I think about it. I can change my thought patterns about it. I can change my beliefs about it. And I can change how I, how I react to it, right? I can be um, sheltered. I can be living in fear. I can be living in a place of, I don't want to achieve my goals because of the fear of, of getting COVID or of anything else, even outside of a COVID world like of success, of failure, this fear of all these different things that are out there, fear of disappointing people, fear of what people will say, right? All these different things that, that were there. And so what I think that one of those things that COVID taught me, who has shaped who I am right now, is like that doesn't really matter within my direct realm, right? I can change who I am and I'm going to impact as many things as I can. And so... You know, from like uh, obviously 2020 was a was a year obviously with COVID, but then also from a racial justice um, standpoint with you know George Floyd's murder um, and everything that happened along with that, right? And then so there are many things that people will react to and have a lot of momentum for, right? You know, the uh, NBA doing these things, um, a lot of people being more in, engaged in their communities with their local politicians, governments, etc., right? But then you know it'll naturally die down. Um, and, and continue like that, right? But I'm kind of thinking about it as, as the long term, this visionary mindset of like, all right, those are these, those are symptomatic, I believe, and you know, those are policy changes that will directly impact the those specific situations, right? But I'm thinking about it from the perspective of how do you change the underlying system that engenders those types of situations in the first place, right? People will go to you know police. Um, defunding or police restructuring, however you want to, um, whatever side you're on there, right? And uh, address it that way. And we need that, right? But And I also view it as, all right, how do the, the people who are actually in this police and law enforcement and judicial system, right? How do I, how can we shift their mindset of, of not even being put in that position in the first place, right? Of having compassion for fellow human beings, whatever color, uh, of their skin, whatever gender, whatever um, ethnic um, background, whatever belief systems that they have, right? All these different things. And so I think that's one of the big perspective changes, shifts that I've had uh, with COVID is like looking at that bigger picture, like of reducing the, the rate of my, of reduction of fear from doing things has greatly been increased, right? So, um, so I basically, no, hold on. Just a short way, way to say. The rate of reduction so of fear has been increased. <laughs> so sorry, so 
Um, yeah, let me rephrase that. <laughs> yes. I, I've had less fear over time. Okay. That's a simpler way to say that. Um, Sounds better. Yes. So I've had less fear over time from doing things that I want to do. And so, um, so, so I think that's one thing. The other aspect to this is if, if you change the context, right, then you can do whatever you want. So what does that mean? That means that I can... So, so if you take an example of a stormy day, right, everyone will want to work... Um, sorry, if you, if you take a sunny day, everyone will want to work out on a sunny day when it's 75 and beautiful outside, go run around the track or go run for a park or work out in the gym or go to the lake. I'll do all these things that are good for them on a, on a nice sunny day, right? Um, but no one wants to work out on a stormy day. No one wants to go to the gym at, at 5 a.m. And, and improve themselves in whatever manner, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, etc. right? And so I think that is, this is the macrocosm. COVID is the macrocosm of, let's say, the stormy day, right? Of, you know, we've had this, this storm that was going on. Uh, well, COVID, you know, racial injustice, um, you know, a lot, a lot of socio-political things going on, not just in our country, but around the world. And that's a storm coming through right now, or, or at least, and that is impacting the people very directly, very acutely, and very short-term-wise, right? But I'm th and I'm thinking about it from, all right, how can I put myself in the storm, so to speak, right? Of, of going to work out in the storm, of going to wake up at 4.35 a.m. and working out or reading or meditating, all these different things, right? So then I can improve myself so I can be the person that I want to be in whatever context is actually out there, right? So then that's where the separation, if you will, uh, will be created. Because everyone will be there, you know, on the same line, indistinguishable lines along this graph over time of, of good weather, right? But then the separation is created when, when there's that stormy weather, when there are things like a COVID, when there's things like racial injustice going on, right? And so that's how I think about it, of how COVID has impacted me. I'm creating that separation. I'm not trying to compare people, but I'm trying to create as much separation between my former self and my future self as possible in these times of COVID and, and stormy weather, if you will. So that's kind of how I view it. And then people will see, it's like, oh, this is um, like a one, you know, they'll, they'll see the results, right? They'll see, the, the, the funny thing is people will see the have, right? In the we do have framework, after the results, after you've identified who you want to be and then done all the, done the work, They'll only see what you have, they'll only see the money, they'll only see the wealth, they'll only see the fame, they'll only see the access and all that stuff, right, and the power. But they won't see the do and the be before that. And then so then people will be trained to think of, of all right, so this person has this, so I just need to have this and then do this and be this, right? So I think that, like, we've had that kind of backwards. And so that's how I'm kind of shaped myself in the last couple of years with COVID to have that framework and really separate myself my former self and future self during this last couple of years. All right. Well, of course, there are a number of directions that we could take that, and that may it would need be, to be fodder for the next discussion that we have. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> I think my answer to that question would have some overlap with what you said, um, and I think there would be 
a lot of differences as well. But we, we will explore that more another time. Um, but for the sake of time, I do want to go to one final uh, question before we wrap up. And um, I want to return back to something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, where a, a previous idea, a previous vision that you had for the Casually Profound series on the Size Eyes podcast. As opposed to Profoundly Casual, that would yes. be someone else's show, that would not be Size Eyes. You know, that, that might Correct. be like, um, you know, Steve's Knees or something. I don't know. Yeah. It would not be Size Eyes. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, but you mentioned that at one point uh, your idea was to have three scripted questions instead of one. Mm. Um, that you would ask at the beginning... Who do others think fill in the blank individual is? Right. Halfway through, you would ask, "Who do you think you are?" Talking to the guest. Yeah. And then at the end, you would ask, "Who am I?" Or who who is the yes. guest? So, um, I guess I'm using two of those three in the context of this conversation because we didn't really pause at the midway point to ask the, right, yeah, yeah. that um, intermission sort of question. I guess. Yeah. Um, but I think it would be an appropriate place to wrap up uh, because in some ways this has been how we've addressed this conversation. Right? This conversation, I feel like it's been a lot more about you and your story and the way that you perceive the world and your vision. Um, when I was on, of course, some of that was factored in. But we also talked about, like, we got into the weeds on the education system and the higher education system, right? right? And. I think it would be wonderful for us to, to do that type of thing in various topics, yeah. but for the sake of time, that, that probably needs to wait for another day. But I think it would be an appropriate place to end on the question, who is Saivasa? And we can see over the course of this journey that we've been on for the last hour, 15 minutes? Yeah, hour 20, yeah. Hour 20 minutes, yeah. how we've gone from who do others think Saivasa is to Sai himself, namesake of the... <laughs> Beloved by many, and yes. of course we can't actually quantify. Well, we could quantify yes. that many, but it's we're, it's not, we're, not, we're not going to. Yes. But beloved <laughs> by many, size eyes podcast uh, series, casually profound conversation subset. Yes, we could say. <laughs> um, yeah. Who? Yes. Are, are you satisfied with that? With that yes. formulation? Yes. Who? So who, who am who, I? Who? To to ask the question from Les Miserables. Yes. Yeah, since, since we're at a French yes. bakery and cafe. Of course. Right? Who am I? But of course, this isn't Jean Valjean asking this. Yes. You know, I'm asking this of Sai Vossum himself. Who is Sai Vossum? How would you answer the question, who am I, if you were to ask yourself yeah. that question? Simplest answer is... So I, I have... Uh, so I have seven values... Um, so in this like purpose mission, so this is not the simplest answer. I don't know why I prefaced it that way. <laughs> I had one word. Right. I, uh, simplest answer is I am love. Right? That, that's the simplest way. You are love. I am love. You, you are love. You're, I am you're, love. You're, you're like Cupid. That is one manifestation of love. <laughs> I'm not Cupid. I, and, I, and I am Cupid. Right? <laughs> but I, it's, it's like uh, Schrodinger's mythology or something. Yes. <laughs> I am both and neither. That's exactly yes. Um, but so the simplest answer is I am love. Right? The, the more complex answer for me, and specifically for me, is I have, uh, I believe, seven values that I've explicitly written out for myself that I live by 
or at least try to live by every day and everything that I do and think. And so those seven values will help people understand who am I. So those seven values, and this has changed over time. So who, if I, you know, if you ask me this next year, this may change, right? But right now, those seven values. When? Yes. I ask you this yes. next year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. None of that if stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right, those, those, those seven values are I am nothing, one, and all. So those are seven independent words as well as a full sentence. So I am nothing, one, and all. And so how I think about that is, you know, so I, so in, in a simple sense, I am I in a, a framework of, so like one way, you know, I'm, I'm currently looking at my, these values as I speak to you, so I'm having a reference point right now. Um, uh, so they, like, they, these can manifest themselves in tangible ways that can be looked at. Exactly, yes. yes. And so for the I value, it's, it's creating a higher resolution map of myself, of basically understanding who I am. Right, so that's basically just asking the question, who am I, on a consistent basis, and seeing that progression over time. Right, and then really understanding we have, you know, Jordan Peterson likes to say, or have this, like, this map, you know, maps of meaning, right? I haven't read the book, but, um, you know, this, like, high resolution map, low resolution map of how we see the world, and we have this low resolution map for things that we don't need to have a high resolution for, like for a helicopter, for example, is an example that he uses. Uh, we don't need to know how exactly the blades work or the engine works or all these different things, but if we see something that is a blob that has four blades on it and spins and goes up in the air, then we call that a, a helicopter, yeah. right? And then that's as good as we need, right? But for other things like ourselves, I think we need a higher resolution. Our belief system, our thought patterns, our perceptions, all these different things that we have about ourselves, we need to create, a, I believe, a higher resolution map of ourselves. So that is the I. Um, then the am piece is the, it's, it's the form of being, right? So it's a human being, not a human doing or a human having. Yeah. It's a human being. And so am is the, you know, a, a form of that, a conjugated form of that. And so am is just it's it's our most basic and our most fundamental state of being right and and, it, and it's actually represented in language as well right where it's it's usually is conjugated differently the form the verb to be is one of the is, is a different almost conjugation in many different languages at least in Germanic ones um, right it's like sein and ist and bin right versus the actual in German you know compared to other verbs which follow, you know, essen and est and uh, all uh, different patterns, right? right. And, I think similar across other languages as well. So like, I think that kind of reflects that am and being is really our truest nature. Nothing is from a standpoint of nothingness, of uh, the key word here is, I think, balance. When I think about balance, it's about um, 
there's like people think about competing forces, but I really think about balance as as a feeling of nothingness. I should be, I should live effortlessly. I should live with ease, and I shouldn't even need discipline because discipline means that there's a difference between who, what I want to do, and what I need to do. Like those should be the same thing. Those should be in alignment, right? Um, so like when I have that feeling, it's it's really nothing, right? I'm one. Right, it's the fourth one of one. Sorry, fifth one. No, sorry, I have six. And that was the fourth one. Of one. Of, like, I think there's only one... Um, so there's a quote by a spiritual master that I've like, followed throughout the years. I'll just read it quickly. Of, there's only one religion, the religion of love. There's only one language, the language of the heart. There's only one caste, the caste of humanity. There's only one law, the law of karma. There's only one God. He is omnipresent. And so, you know, you, you can we can talk about this later, but I think just that feeling, that uh, notion of just everything is oneness, um, is like we are all one species. And you know, when we start separating our human cells in a way you know that leads to war that leads to violence that leads to you know even saying bad words to people right and so i think if we think about everything as one why would we hurt other people if we view them as ourselves right and is having a i would say a systems thinking mindset of like all right here is um you know it's basically improv improv right it's like yes and <laughs> everything it's, it can be this, and it can be this, and it can be this, and it can be this, right? We're not trying to distinguish between this or this, this versus this, right? I'm trying to have this two-party system in our mind, right? And then all, it's like, I would say that the universe is all-encompassing, right? Like, it is, I believe it's omnipresent. It can, you know, you know how, how else can a thought in your mind kind of like, I say something like, oh wow, we were about to say the exact same thing, or we were thinking the exact same thing. Right? We have these frequencies, we have these energies, I believe, that allow us to do that. And so it's, it's all really just all one thing. And so those, obviously I went on this tangent, but I think these six values really get to who I am right now. Of All of this is the fundamental values and way I live my life right now and the, how I think, and everything filters up or filters down depending on how you think about it from there. So, I am nothing, one and all are one, two, three, four, five, six words of how I would describe myself right now. <laughs> all right, well, of course, we can add that you are Sai Vasa. Yes, I can also add that. <laughs> that um, normally when conversations are being had in the Casually Profound series on the Size Eyes podcast, yeah. uh, you are hosting. Obviously, that was not the case today, but it has been great fun as always. Uh, it's a great pleasure to be serving as a guest host today. You know, we've now done two of these uh, Casually Profound, not profoundly casual. Correct. That, that'd be, someone else yeah <laughs> uh, we, we don't know the people who be right. that two of these casually profound conversations you know one in, in uh, Texas and one in North Carolina so 
I don't know. Maybe we need to go do them in all 50 states now maybe. or something. Or, or as I... <laughs> <laughs> and you know exactly what I'm going to say. Yes. Uh, yesterday when I bought a plane ticket from Gothenburg, Sweden, GOT, to ballooned Denmark BLL on Ryanair's website and selected United States of America as my country, um, there were 58 states available for selection on the drop-down menu upon selecting the U.S. as my country. So maybe it's 58 states we need to do this in. The, the maybe we do. Federated state oh. of Micronesia is on this. Not to be confused with the federated states of Micronesia, you know, the country that has four states. Exactly. For now. You know, there's an yes. independence movement in Chuuk. We'll save that for another day. <laughs> See, I, I, we had to go yeah, on you, you had to fit that in. Somewhere. Yeah, we, we, we had to do this at some, yeah. some point. <laughs> Excuse me. But, um, you yeah, know, this has been great fun. Hopefully there's been uh, some, some value for the many listeners and followers of, of the Size Eyes podcast and of SideVossum.com. But it's, it's been great fun. It's been a great experience. So uh, thank you so much for letting me fill in as guest host for um, welcoming me to Charlotte for my visit to tolerating me as you have <laughs> over the years because I know I can be uh, a, a bit much sometimes it's, it's um, but it's uh, it's been great fun uh, doing this so so thank you and I look forward to uh, future collaborations in future casually profound or uh, perhaps other adverbs and adjectives will be used to describe conversations <laughs> in the future we don't know but I look forward to additional conversations down the road so thank you so much yeah Appreciate um, Adam you coming down here. Um, I guess I guess east coming east here. East, um, yes. O- over, <laughs> they coming over yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, o- o- over there. It's like yeah. the uh, the um, George M. Cohen you know, song. Over there, <laughs> yes. you know. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and I'm glad you corrected that because it drives. You know, I live in Houston, right, or in the Houston area. It drives me crazy when someone from Houston is talking about Dallas and they'll say down there. No, that's not down there. That's up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. thank you for coming over here yes. uh, to Charlotte, exploring the city, exploring um, the basketball courts of Charlotte, exploring. So far, it's just been one yeah, basketball one. court. And, um, <laughs> it didn't go very well. Um, but yeah, this is uh, amazing. And thank you for listening. Um, I'll let you sign off, Adam, since you are the host. But this has been um, great fun and second of many. Of course, and thank you everybody for listening to yet another casually profound, hopefully uh, insightful and, and thought-provoking conversation uh, on the Size Eyes podcast. So thank you everybody. <laughs>